Good morning. Let's go ahead and give the choir a hand and the beautiful orchestra. I know it makes such a difference in worship to have, have them up here, and so I'm so grateful that they were back today. And if you don't know me, and if I don't know you, my name is Grace Marie. I'm the worship arts director here at the church, which means I'm usually leading worship in the auditorium, and I haven't been with you all in a while, so I am grateful to be here and to see your smiling faces and see uh, what God has for us today as we study his word. So let me go ahead and tell you this. We are uh, starting a new series in here this week called Theology of Work. We started it last week in the auditorium, which basically means I have to do two weeks in one. Who thinks I can stay under my time? All right. Thank you for the vote of confidence. I appreciate it. I asked the first, uh, the, the first group at nine, and they believed in me, and, and they should not have. So uh, we're, we're going to... We're going to see if I can, I can stick with it today, but I'm covering a lot, of, a lot of content. And I know as we start this series on theology of work, there are probably lots of different things that have come to your mind just with the word work being mentioned this morning. Maybe some of you are like, oh, I love my job. I can't wait for Monday morning. I literally whistle while I work. Now, some of you may have been thinking, oh, work, why are we talking about this? It's the nine to five, it's, it's the grind. I just, I'm just getting through it so one day I can finally retire. But maybe some of you others have immediately checked out because you're like, oh, my working days are over. This does not apply to me, okay? I will not ask for a show of hands about where you are in one of those situations. But whatever your current relationship is with work, I truly, truly believe that God has something so foundational for us today, so foundational for in how we understand what work really is with the biblical foundation as we look at that. I think it's going to impact the way we see ourselves, our own work and responsibilities, but also the opportunity uh, to see others in a different light in the way that we interact with them. I know a lot of us have had different jobs, I'm sure, over the years. I got my start, you know, in, in, in my career, like a typical person. In high school, I got my first job. I did the usual things like uh, babysitting. I worked at a daycare called Little Darlings for a while. And uh, Florence, you know. And, uh, and then when I was later in high school, I did what every good Christian teenager did. And I worked at Chick-fil-A and served the Lord's Chicken for a little bit of time. Now, when I went off to college, I was like, you know, I need to have a couple years where I could just like really focus on my studies. I went to Columbia International University, which is a Bible college in town. And uh, I start there. I'm like, you know, I don't have a job and I'm just going to be doing some stuff for my studies. But one night I was in the cafeteria and I was hanging out with some friends. We were eating and I had gone and got my meal, sat down and I look over and I realized, just started noticing the people that were working in the cafeteria. And I particularly noticed the people who were taking up the dishes. And I just saw this conveyor belt. You know, people were going, taking their trays, their food. It was just kind of a messy job. And they were taking it and, and, and having to put it back and take it to the person washing the dishes. And I remember thinking very vividly in my mind, ugh, I would hate to have that job. Now, as I tell you that, right time that thought came to my mind, I immediately felt convicted and I felt the Lord say to me, maybe you should work in the cafeteria. 
So inside of me, I, I felt a conflict. I didn't want to tell my friends the, the, the thought processes that were in my head, but I was like, oh no, I may have to actually call and find out about this because I actually feel the Lord asking me to do it. And um, as I sat there, I thought to myself, here I am, not appreciative of these workers, but here I am rolling in from my dorm, coming in, getting food that's already made for me, eating what I want, taking it to them, and they're cleaning it up and doing what they want. And here I am prideful in my spirit about me not wanting to do a job like this. So the next day I said, all right, Lord, I'm going to follow through. I'm just going to make the phone call. So I called. And when I make the call, I talked to the guy who was running the schedule. And he said, yeah, we have one job opening this semester. But the only job left was the 5.30 a.m. breakfast shift. Now listen, this is not a college student's dream job, okay? This is not it. But I thought to myself, well, I've already made it this far. I should not let my pride off the hook, so I probably should take this job because I feel like the Lord's trying to teach me something. So I end up saying, sure, I'll take the job. All my friends were like, wait, I thought you weren't going to work. Why are you working? I'm like, I'll explain it one day, and I'm explaining it now. I've never ta really talked about it that much. Let's just say that it was a very rough semester, 19 years old, having to roll out of my dorm and be in the cafeteria at 5.30 to set up the breakfast bar, which included dicing up fruit and displaying bowls of jello and cottage cheese at 5.30 in the morning. That's not a dream job, y'all. That is not it. That was not it. And I may or may not have been woken up several times by my supervisor calling me at 5.45 because I was late to work because I'd overslept. Overall, I would say I learned a lot about myself and got a real life lesson in the value of all types of work. You see, all of us in this room have had different experiences when it comes to work. There's the good, there's the bad, there's the ugly. And we could go around and probably share stories about how those things have been a reality for you. But here's the truth. In some way, shape, or form, the concept of work and labor is an integral part of our daily lives and routines and the functioning of a society. Tim Keller is a pastor and an author. He wrote a book actually called Theology of Work. And here is what uh, his definition of, of work is that we've been working off of the past couple weeks. But it's, it's this, rearranging the raw materials of a particular domain to draw out its potential for the flourishing of everyone. I feel like I need to point this out, but there was a typo in this definition in, in the book. <laughs> yeah, free to see it. It accidentally says, uh, rearrange the raw materials of a particular woman. That, that, that's not correct. Um, so some of y'all, the men are like, that's right. The women need to get to work. That is an incorrect typo in the bulletin. I'm sorry. We've corrected it on the screens. Whew, that's a tough one to navigate. All right, but well, we're drawing out the potential, don't miss this, for the flourishing of everyone around you. So what do we actually mean when we say the word work this morning? What actual resources, materials, responsibilities have you been given the opportunity to steward and care for, for the flourishing of those around you? What opportunities have you been given to steward and care for 
for the flourishing of those around you that you can impact. So this morning, I'm talking to the business owner, to the teacher, to the construction worker, to the insurance agent, to the stay-at-home mom or dad, to the healthcare worker, the engineer, the grocery clerk, the gas station attendant, the artist, the guest service team volunteer, the retiree who serves at an after-school program, those who serve in our kids' ministry or for VBS, the one doing the laundry, the one cooking family meals, you doing the yard work, you fill in the blank this morning. Because when we talk about work with this big picture in mind, it includes all of our labor and responsibilities, whether paid or unpaid. The daily routines and tasks of everyday life for those around you to flourish. So this applies to all of us this morning. And in order for us to really get this big picture of work and truly lay out a a good theology or a biblical understanding of what work is, really we're going to be asking two questions this morning as we walk through this together. First, we're going to be asking why does our work or what is why do we work and why does our work matter? Why do we work and why does our work matter or why does your work actually matter in the world. And to do that, we're going to start at the very beginning. Genesis 1-1. I know you've probably heard it many times, but I want us to look at it with this in mind. It says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We could stop right there. In the beginning, God did something. In the beginning, God created. He worked. The Bible doesn't start with, in the beginning, God majestically floated throughout the universe. It intentionally starts with, in the beginning, God created. He worked. The entire creation story laid out in Genesis 1 is essentially God's work week. He spent six days creating and speaking things into existence and bringing order to chaos and purpose and intention and everything that he made. And at the end of it, he said, it is good. And then at the pinnacle of his work week, he creates humanity, man and woman, to live in his creation. And then he says it was very good. God showed us what work was about. Genesis 2, it wraps up really the whole creation story, and this is what it says, Genesis 2, 1 through 2. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work, so he rested from all of his work. He rested from all of his work. So why do we work? We work because God is a worker. We work because God is a worker. He modeled it from the very beginning. You know, this is actually really interesting. Work in all of its different forms throughout the Bible is mentioned over 800 times. Over 800 times. More than all the terms used for Worship, praise, singing, and music combined. Work is mentioned more than worship, praise, singing, and music combined in all of its forms. That should tell us something. It tells us that it's important to God, and it should be important to us. And understanding the why we work is so critical for 
realizing what God has intended for us on this earth, that God himself is a worker. The ancient Greek culture, I'm sure people have heard stories with Greek mythology as, as I have over the years, but the ancient Greek culture had an understanding of work that it was completely beneath them. So all of their work, all of their daily tasks and routines, they wanted to leave that to those of a lower socioeconomic status. They didn't think they had to do anything. And you see this show up in stories and lots of things with culture relating to the Greeks. And it's reflected in their view of their god Zeus. And I think this story is, is so fascinating. I'm sure you've heard it. But in Greek mythology, there's a story about Sisyphus, who was a king, King Sisyphus. And the god Zeus punished him by forcing him to roll an immense boulder up a hill only for it to roll back down every time it neared the top. And then he would have to roll it up again. And he was punished by this god Zeus to do this for all of eternity. Oftentimes, people refer to tasks that are both laborious or futile as Sisyphean, if you've heard that term before. We often view our work or our labor from this perspective with no real purpose just an endless cycle of meaningless tasks. And the Greeks saw this God as assigning this meaningless work and sitting back to watch the misery as Sisyphus had to roll his boulder over and over again for all of eternity. That's the way Zeus was seen as being a God. But friends, our God, the God of the Bible, shows us that from the very beginning, he himself is a worker. And not only that, as the creation story unfolds, we see that he extends this work beyond himself. This work wasn't just for him, but he extends this work beyond himself to those who he created. Genesis 2.15 says this. I love this verse. It says, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. You see, what we see here from this verse is that work is not man's invention. It's God's intention. This was not something we came up with. It wasn't a punishment from parents to be like, how can I keep my kids busy? I'm going to give them chores. It's not, that's, it's not a society thing that the society has come up with just to keep people busy. It is God's intention from the beginning. Some of us like to uh, imagine, I know people will talk sometimes like, oh, if we were only back in the Garden of Eden, everything was so easy then. And we look at Adam and Eve, they just got to hang out by streams of flowing rivers, pick fresh fruit, you know, drink right from the coconuts. Like that sounds like a vacation, right? But here's the thing. The garden was not vacation. It was vocation. The garden was not vacation, it was vocation. And God gave them work to do right from the start, before the fall of man and before sin entered the world. They were going to work in the garden, they were going to tend to it, they were going to care for it, they were going to name and take care of animals. God gave them responsibilities and it was good. And this shows us that at our very core, let's not miss this, at our very core, God has designed the world to work in such a way that humans are invited into and involved in his world. 
Humans are invited into and involved in his world. We sang it earlier, this is my father's world. What a beautiful song. It reminds us of the creation he's made, and we are here to be a part of what he's made as stewards of that. We get to be involved. One of my favorite uh, memories of one of my first jobs or responsibilities was butter bean season at my grandparents' house. Okay, has anybody in here picked butter beans before? The shelled butter beans specifically. Okay, there we go. So I have very strong memories of sitting on my nanny's front porch. It's so hot outside and the workers all went out and they gathered, you know, they're gathering all the butter beans in these big buckets. And then we would all sit around for hours on the porch and we would be shelling butter beans and we'd be talking. They'd probably do a little bit of singing as we go. Nanny always would swing on her front porch when we would do that. But here's the thing, being involved in this for me was not seen as a negative thing. I wasn't like, oh, I got to go help out with this. For me, being involved with this and having this responsibility was an opportunity to do something important alongside of my grandparents. It was seen as a gift. It was seen as something good, not something negative. You see, something else we understand from these stories in Genesis is that work is not punishment, it's participation. Work is not punishment, it's participation. God invites him to join in with him about what it means to be a worker. But let's be honest, some of y'all are like, I, I, you're not making me want to go to work tomorrow. I'm still, not, I'm still not convinced. I'm still not convinced there's a lot of purpose and what I need to do. I get it, but I don't really want to do it. Work has gotten a really bad reputation throughout history, and it's definitely been hijacked. It has been hijacked, especially Western society. It's something that you just have to do because one day you're going to get to retirement, and then you can start living, right? I feel like I've heard that so much in my life and in so much in our culture. Everything's just got to do what you got to do to get to retirement one day. And nothing is wrong with retirement. Retirement can be wonderful. I'm sure many of you are retired this morning, and I hope you are enjoying it. But if our whole mindset with that is I have to do a whole bunch of meaningless stuff for all these years so then I can finally do something important, we have missed it. We've missed it. Because God's intention is that we get to participate with him in the daily activities and routines of life in a way that has purpose, in a way that has meaning. There's going to be things, of course, that we don't like about our jobs. I work at the church. There's plenty of drama. There's plenty of things I'm like, can we just skip past this and then just go and start doing this thing? We all have it. It's a part of it. The fall happened. Brokenness happened. It is a reality. But understanding how we work, why we work, will directly impact our purpose in our everyday life. Here's a story I recently heard about a man who came upon a, a rock quarry. And he, he came to the rock quarry and he looked down and there were three workers. And when he shouts down to them, hey, what are y'all doing down there? Worker number one responds back, I'm chiseling stone. Worker number two responds back, I'm making $10 an hour. That ain't that good when you think about it. This is an old story. Worker number three responds back, 
I'm building a cathedral. All three of them doing the same job, doing the same work, doing the same routine with completely different perspectives because man number one couldn't see past his pick. Man number two couldn't see past his paycheck. But man number three saw what he did as participation and participation in something so much bigger than himself. He was playing the part of helping build a cathedral. So why do we work? We work because God is a worker. We work because it's not man's invention. We didn't come with it. It was, it was God's intention from the very beginning. And work is not punishment. It's participation. We get to join in with God and his world and what he has invited us into. You see, all of this is, is so foundational for us. But some of you may be thinking, okay, what, what, what's the bigger picture here for me? How, how can I know that my work matters? Essentially, that's what we all are asking. Why does my work matter? There's a passage in Colossians 3, verse 23, that I want to read for us this morning. You could follow along. And I think, I think this sets the perfect tone for how we should approach our work. It says this, work willingly... At whatever you do, as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. I'm going to read that again. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. You see, when we approach everything we do, our daily routines and tasks, whether paid or unpaid, this big picture of work that God has given us to participate with in his world, all of your work can be sacred. All of your work can be sacred. How many of us approach our daily responsibilities like that? That no matter what the tasks are, we recognize that what we do with our hands can be holy. How many of us go into the office with that mindset or go and help a friend or serve someone with that mindset that what we do with our hands can be holy? One of the main problems, I think, in our society is that we have constructed a wall between the sacred and the secular. The spiritual and the natural. We, we, we put up a wall between those things and we don't see how they intersect. We like to keep everything very separate. So some of you are wondering, what's so sacred about spreadsheets, diapers, and oil changes? There's a book that's been written called How Then Should We Work by a man named Hugh Welchel. And this is what he says about how we can view all work as sacred. He says, all evangelical Christians would acknowledge that all of life is to be lived under the comprehensive lordship of Christ. Few, however, understand that even in our everyday work, the scripture teaches no separation between sacred and secular. No church-related work or mission is more spiritual than any other profession, such as law, business, Education, journalism, 
or politics. That all of it can be spiritual. The scripture doesn't differentiate between certain tasks or jobs as one being spiritual or not. I went to CIU, like I said earlier, and that's, it's a Bible college where they train people up for ministry. And one of their slogans that they have that I love and I've never forgotten is this, that they are about training professional ministers or ministering professionals. Professional ministers, those who are going to be employed by a church or a missions agency, or ministering professionals, those that are out in the business world or whatever other tasks are before them. There's no separation between which one was spiritual or not spiritual. It all came down to that person's presence and purpose in their daily work. This is what it means to see all of your work as sacred. I'll never forget one of, one of my favorite jobs that, that I ever had was being a sitter at a nursing home when I was in college. And I found out about this job because it was posted at CIU. A family needed someone to come and sit with this lady. And I want to tell you a little bit about her because it was such a huge impact for me. I think this was probably around my senior year. My cafeteria stint only lasted like a semester, but I did it, you know. Um, but, I, but I had this job later. And so I ended up uh, going and meeting with the family. And Miss Dennis was one of the sweetest and most special people I've ever met in my life. She was um, completely healthy up to the point when at 76, she got in a car accident and became paralyzed from the neck down. And so she was a quadri quadriplegic. And she was, her family had her in a facility here um, where she had to have 24-hour care. And so they were looking for someone to come and to sit with her several days a week and just spend time with her. And so I, I've always had a connection with, with older people, and I actually loved going and visiting nursing homes even in college, I mean, even in high school. So I was like, oh, this is, this is like the perfect thing for me. And so I would go, and I would sit with Miss Dennis in a room, and I would read her books. She'd pick out books for me to bring, and I would read her, her books to her. And I would bring my guitar someday. She would say, bring your guitar tomorrow. So I'd bring my guitar, and we would sing, and I would play for her. And then I would feed her. And then I would help even the workers sometimes when they had to hook her up and move her from her bed to her chair because she wasn't able to move from the neck down. They had to try to keep her body not putting pressure just constantly on certain spots. And let me just tell you, what happened in that room was some of the most holy and spiritual work I've ever been a part of. Being with her and spending time with her and caring for her needs so that she could flourish as the best she could at that point in her life was holy work. It was spiritual work. And it was something that left a huge impression on my life that I got to participate in her life. And it was sacred, spiritual and so impactful. One of the things that I think is so important that we see in Scripture is that there's a Hebrew understanding of this word work. It's actually the word used in Genesis 2.15 when work is introduced to humanity, when they got, they got to come into the garden and work in the garden. This Hebrew word is called, is called avodah. I made a joke in the first service about it sounding like an avocado, and then I accidentally said avocado later in the service. So there, there's that. So we'll try to get that right. Avodah. 
the avodah. This word is fascinating. It shows up in all different places. And what's fascinating about it is it's used interchangeably for work, service, and worship. So the famous passage, uh, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will avodah. I want to put man in the garden and you're going to work the garden. Avodah. This is important because in the scriptures, we have God who's laying out for humanity what it means to be a worker. It means that you're serving. It means that you're worshiping. Those words were intertwined, and they understood that to mean that their life was connected. Their life was an integrated life. The sacred and the secular are seamless. There was no separation. God didn't decide this is going to be a spiritual thing and this isn't going to be a spiritual thing. But we try so hard to keep everything so separate. We're really bad about this in the Western world and in the church. We want to keep everything really separate. Essentially what we're doing is we're trying to keep apart what God himself has brought together. God is the one who's unified these things. We're the ones who keep trying to make them separate. I want you to imagine with me, I was trying to think how to, how to understand this for myself, but I want you to imagine with me that there are two wells, okay? And there's, there's one well that, that we draw from when it comes to our spiritual life or things that are sacred or Sunday morning. We have a certain set of values or expectations or influences, and we know how to act, what to say. We know kind of how this whole spiritual life thing works, and we draw from that in those situations. But then somehow we've created this whole other well that we draw from. So when it comes to the Monday morning office, we kind of can leave behind some of those values or the way that we treat people or the way that we interact with the grocery clerk because we're too distracted on our phone and we don't have anything to say to them. All the different ways and the values that we pull from, maybe the way we treat people in our businesses, maybe the way we manage people, maybe the way we act when we drive, for those of you who have road rage. We had this whole other set of wells that we begin, or a set of values that we draw from. And this is a very compartmentalized way to live. We start living very different from the Sunday morning service to the Monday morning office. We keep it separate, the spiritual, the natural, the sacred, the secular. This principle works here, and this is how I get by serving in the church and being on this board or being the Sunday school teacher. Oh, but this principle doesn't work over here, so I'm going to draw from this. But that is not the life that God has called us to. The avodah is a life that is connected, that is integrated, that's all pulling from the same well, and God is after our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says this, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from it. So the avodah is truly about a life where God is, help, is, is changing your heart from the inside out and you're drawing from one deep well. So when you're making decisions for your family or for your finances or for church, serving, doing what needs to be made in decisions here, how you interact with people in your business, how you approach the routines that you have to do, the chores you have to handle, doing the yard work, whatever those responsibilities are, God is after you in your heart so that it comes from one deep place. It's all connected. So from the spreadsheets to the diapers to the dishes to the emails to the car work, it's all coming from the same place, and it can be sacred. 
Somebody say amen to that. That is good news for us today. Romans 12.1 is, is a great passage that I'm sure many of us have read and heard taught as it talks about what it means to live a life of worship. It's often quoted and taught with that in mind. But I want us to read it this morning with this idea of, of work in mind. This is what it says. It'll be on the screen. Romans 12.1. And so, dear brothers and sisters... I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. You see, sacred work is sacrificial. Sacred work is sacrificial. It's ultimately a giving of yourself, a laying down of your own body in some way, shape, or form. And a giving of yourself in this daily world is an act of worship. Your physical bodies having a job or a task, whatever that may be, can be an act of worship. And when we think about worship most of the time, we think about what we just did here on Sunday morning. As we all sang together and heard beautiful worship, and as we're opening God's word together and being challenged to be sent out, you know, we say we went, we went to worship together, which is true. But worship and a life of worship is so much deeper and is so beyond that. And I'm a worship leader, and I love what we get to do together on Sunday mornings. But here's the thing, I tell my contemporary team, Often, and my staff over there, I say, 99% of your worship leadership will happen off of the stage. 99% of your worship leadership will happen off of the stage, and it's just as spiritual, and it's just as sacred. There's a saying that was put up somewhere that someone mentioned, and it's, it's called, uh, it says, everyone wants a revolution, no one wants to do the dishes, Right? Everyone wants a revolution, all these big, I want to be a part of that. I don't want to have to do that, but somebody's got to do the dishes. Can you imagine a world where no one did the dishes? Can you imagine a household where that chore doesn't go to anybody? No one's flourishing in that house. It's going to be dirty. God calls us to the small things. The things that feel meaningless but truly have a bigger purpose and the, the really big idea is that maybe we can start showing up to these tasks in our daily life. Maybe we can start showing up to them with this verse in mind from Romans that we are a living sacrifice. And so when we show up for these jobs or tasks or routines, we literally say, this is my body given for you. So to the mom who's nursing or chasing toddlers and isn't sleeping at night because of how much that is draining her to care and give life to these young kids, maybe the mindset could be, this is my body given for you to flourish in this world. To those of you who work outside in the South Carolina summer heat, bless you, first of all. But as you sweat and as you work, maybe you're in construction, Maybe you're holding the road signs down the road up here so we can have safe 
ways of travel to get home and back to work and to church. And maybe as you're working hard and you're sweating and helping build houses because people need shelter, maybe you can go with the mindset of this is my body given for you. Maybe for those of you who sit in front of a computer and punch in numbers and and manage people and work off spreadsheets because you're trying to help people have the best resources they can possibly have to make whatever decisions need to be made and you need to know an efficient way to do all of those things. Maybe as you do that and you use your brain to help people navigate some of those hard things in life, maybe your whole mindset could be this is my body given for you. A good theology of work and why it matters may be most connected to the greatest commandment that Jesus ever gave us, which is in Matthew 22. It says this, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So friends, I ask you, what does your neighbor need? Shelter? Food? Travel? Education? The list goes on and on about why all of these types of work are sacred before the Lord and what it means to love your neighbor well. According to to Reformation theologian Martin Luther, he actually says this, We respond to the call to love our neighbor by fulfilling the duties associated with everyday work. We respond to the call to love our neighbor by doing the duties associated with just everyday work. That's how we live it out. It's sacred work. It's sacrificial work. And it's us saying we show up with our bodies given for this community. There's a covenant statement that reads like this, and I think it's so powerful as we think about what it means uh, to give your body to your work, whatever, whatever that is, in a sacrificial way. And it says this, God has been calling out from the world a people for himself, and sending his people back into the world to be his servants and his witnesses for the extension of his kingdom, the building up of Christ's body, and the glory of his name. You see, in a thousand different ways across this community, we are literally living out, this is my body given for you. Because we are literally living out being the body of Christ to those around us. The everyday routines, the responsibilities, the tasks of life, the mundane, we discover something miraculous. A sacrificial giving of self for the flourishing of everyone. And so with that mindset, here is to laboring, to working to serving, to worshiping. And no one has modeled this life of sacrificial giving more than Jesus himself. In Luke 22, 
it says this. He took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. Jesus is our greatest example, friends. He's our greatest example. And he gave of his body sacrificially in this world. He was present among us. And his greatest work was his work on the cross for us to bring redemption. So through all all of our days, we have an opportunity. As we approach our work, our tasks, our labor, our routines, as we interact with people in this world, as we try to love our neighbors well, as we try to steward well the opportunities that God has given to us, may we step into those places and may we say, this is my body given for you because of Christ's body given for us. And may we come to know him in a deeper way because of that as we do this sacred work together. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for who you are. We can be reminded today through our work that we get to be be a part of, that we get to participate in. Though there will be moments where things are hard or difficult, that God, you would remind us that we get to be involved in your world, invited in, And may we see all that we get to do as sacred work and worship to you because of what you've done for us. It's in the holy name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.